Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creators along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. This week's guest is actor, writer, producer, Marshall Thurman. Marshall and I met years ago through a mutual artist friend and became friends and co-supporters of each other's journeys. Back in 2016, So Mind-Boggling Journeys screened Marshall's seven-part web series through 25 at Ode to Babel in Brooklyn. You can watch the series on YouTube. Cut to today, where Marshall is in the throes of promoting and submitting her first feature film to festivals that she co-wrote, co-produced, co-directed, and starred in, called Black, White, and the Grays. Here is Marshall Thurman. I am so excited. Today is a special episode. Uh, I mean, they're all special. I don't want to offend any guests. I don't want any guests reaching out saying that I would, that their episode was not special. But this is a little extra special because I am here today with Marcelle Thurman, who is a dear friend of mine. Um, she is a multi-hyphenate, and she actually was a multi-hyphenate before becoming a multi-hyphenate was a thing. She has been a writer, producer, actor for as long as I've known her. She was one of the first first actresses that actually created her own web series and produced it and screened it. We screened it in June of 2016 at Ode to Babel. Do you remember that at Ode to Babel? Yes, that was all you. You set you set that up, right? Yes. It was so mind-boggling. Set yes. That up. <laughs> yes. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And it's so crazy because that was what, six years ago? That was six years yeah. ago. And that was actually the first season because the first season was in 2013 is when we shot it. Wow. Oh, and that's actually how we met uh, because we have a mutual friend and it was a screening. Did I meet you at the screening? No, it had to have been before the screening because I had to have known you to do I wouldn't ask like a stranger. <laughs> But so you did my screening in 2016. But if you're if you're saying the first season was done or was shot in 2013, we met then in 2014 or 2015. And I feel like because we met through the mutual friend, it was at a, it was at a screening, wasn't it? Girl, I can't remember. That's too long ago. <laughs> I can't remember either. And you know what's so crazy about this? I, what I've noticed with the podcast is I'm like, I always think of the relationships as like what the relationship is like. I hardly remember the beginning. We don't even think about it till it's like when I'm then doing the podcast. And I'm like, oh, well, how did we meet? And I'm like, why do I struggle with those early meetings? I, I don't I don't know what that is. I don't, but, you know, I'm going to do better now going forward. But anyway, it's been it's been a long time. It's been a long time. That's all we need to know. It's been a long time. But Marcelle, I really do want to give you your flowers, right? Because especially now, all these years later, to think back where it was like, oh, wow, you were really doing it back when like, when I feel like you heard of like Issa Rae doing it. And it was like, it was still very much a novel idea. And a lot of artists were trying to wrap their heads around the idea of, I got to do my own work. Like, what do you mean I have to create my own work? We were a little bit like, well, wait, what does that mean? You know, and you were already doing it. I want to start off with that because since you were really like a trailblazer in, <laughs> in that regard, how did you get to that? so early in terms of knowing to create your own work. Yeah. So oddly enough, what inspired me to write through 25 was actually Lena Dunham, oddly enough. <laughs> Because you know what? It was right before I think Girls came out. And I was interested because I didn't know who Lena Dunham was. So I watched Tiny Furniture. And then, you know, of course, you know, you watch the film and then you go on IMDb. I always do that. because I'm like, where do I know this person from? And then I realized that she drew a lot from her own life. And I think her mom was her real mom. Her sister was her real sister. I think her friends were in it. So she really drew from her own life experience. And I said, well, if she can draw from her own life experience, like surely I can find a story that I can draw for my own life to create this story through 25 is inspired by my friend Christopher who unfortunately passed away had an accidental death when he was 25 and I was 23 it really just kind of rocked me to the core because you know I'd had older family members who had passed on but they had lived longer lives and obviously it's, it's always sad but it really hit me hard when it was someone who's so young he was 25 that's it's insane in any case I wrote it I had a friend of mine direct it we produced it together and then we did a second season 
season, which we're still working on. We filmed it in 2017 and we're still in post, but we're almost done, which is that's that's a whole, we don't have time for that. That's a whole story. But we really just wanted to get it finished. I said, like, I'm somebody who, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I do it 100%. Marcel, that really is you. When you say you're going to do something, not only do you do it, but you do it quickly, girl. Like it's like the wheels will be in motion. And I'm like, wait, oh my gosh, how does she even do that? And the fact that you do all that you do with a full-time job. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that, I mean, I definitely, when I first graduated college, you know, I did service industry. I did retail. I, I was a server. And then eventually I was like, look, I'm done. My patience is gone. I, I can't do this. I did temping for a bit. And then through temping, kind of landed these part-time permanent jobs after you know one ended they all just kind of led to another eventually to the job I'm at now which is full-time I never thought that I would have a full-time job and it's an insurance it's so it's so random I always say that when something kind of just lands into your lap that's in a way like a gift from universe god whatever higher power that you believe in or don't believe in is because you have to work so hard for so many things in life that if something just kind of lands in your lap you better take it because you don't get them that often and this job kind of landed in my lap And it's oddly enough, I said no when I first got offered it because acting is what I want to do. And I was so afraid that they were going to think if I take this job that I'm going to be full time in insurance land and climbing the corporate ladder. You know, I've been with them for a bit and I've learned and I have grown in my position, but acting is still really important to me. And I was really upfront with my boss. He's an amazing boss because he's so understanding. And I said, look, I'm an actor. If I have auditions, I need to be able to go to them. I mean, I wasn't like demanding, but you know, I said, if I have an audition, can I please go to it? If I book something, I need to be able to shoot it. And he was like, yeah, you know, if you need to work from home that day, that's fine. If you need to go to this audition, come back, that's fine. You know, I really put in the work. You know, if I had an audition, this is back pre-COVID when you actually went in for your auditions and not just self-tapes. You know, if I had an audition in the middle of the day, I would come in a little bit early or I'd stay a little bit late. And I, I always told him, look, I'll make sure that anything that needs to get done for that day will get done before I leave. So even if, again, if I'm working extra hours to cover it, I'm not going to leave you hanging. He's been really great. And even with the film that I'm sure we'll talk about later on, I had to take off basically two weeks to film. It was tough because it was actually a really busy time. It was probably not the greatest time to take off, but he allowed me to take off off, you know, do what I need to do. So it's nice to be able to not have to, I'm not like, oh, I need this job, this acting job, because I need to pay my rent that it's like, if I get it, it's just great. It's just extra money. It goes into savings because it's been this year has been a lot. This has literally been the busiest year I've ever had acting wise. It's been it's been tough because again, you're working nine to five, nine to six, I go home and I'm working till 12 o'clock at night on either auditions or I have an acting class or stuff for the film. And then you're going to bed at one, two o'clock and then you're up again at seven. It's just, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And I, people don't really get that. You know, I was with a friend over the weekend and my friend, they were mentioning all these TV shows, right? And this person is an artist too. And I was like, you know, now I do admit that I am, I'm always very behind in my like research and in my, you know, my home homework or whatever in terms of like watching all these shows right but I'm also like there's no way that you can really watch all these shows especially now there's so many shows right now you can't watch all those shows if you're working a job and then if you're also then doing other things hence Sam is my producing partner and Sam has put me on the good foot you know but it was like it would be so hard to even carve out the time to do this to do my recordings and to reach out to people in enough time and to do the research and to organize for it and you know that's been a little it's been a little shaky bakey, but that's okay though. <laughs> this is my season back. I'm getting it together, right? And so then, and so how about this? You and I both said that we have a hard out tonight at 9.30. So mind you now, it's 8.19, okay? And at 9.30, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm hopping on a Zoom with my actress friend, Tammy, who lives out in LA because every week we try to do these actor sessions where we like go over scripts together or talk about the business or talk about something that we're working on or, you know, prepare for an audition. But even that, holding on to that, it's a little bit of a challenge, you know? No, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm literally, I have, and this happened maybe an hour before we started recording. I have to hop in a call about the film. It's never ending. <laughs> and and right before this, I got, no, I, was telling, I was telling Bettina, I had a voiceover audition that I had to record where I had a three hour turnaround and I was literally walking to an appointment right after work, editing my voiceover audition to send to my agent. It's just, it's never ending. 
It's never ending. There's always something to be done. I want to go back to the fact that you've been working this full-time job. How long would you say you've been working this full-time job? I want to hit on two notes with this. I'd say since October 2017, but I was working more like a receptionist office manager with the same company, I think, for a while, but I think full-time for them for maybe a year or two before I got this. Basically, I started temping. When was Sandy? Hurricane Sandy? Yeah. Hurricane Sandy was 2012, October of 2012. Oh my goodness. Okay. So my whole temping thing with all of this started really in 2012. But then I think I started working for this company. November 2013 was the first time I started working for this company. So it's been a while. And I think a big testament goes to your work ethic because I'm sure a lot of employers, not I'm sure, I know, (laughs) a lot of employers would not be okay with that situation. I love the fact that you were able to be so honest and transparent about like, hey there, I'm really dedicated to this job, but you know, I have something that I'm very passionate about and that I'm like actively working towards. I love that you were able to share that with him. And I know that's also because you do great work. And I also think that the manager also is a special type of person because I feel like not everybody would be that supportive, even if they were a great worker. You know, I feel like, you know, unfortunately with the pandemic, you know, an unfortunate situation had to happen for the world to see like, oh, we actually don't need to be in this, this box of a building staring at each other to get work done. It's like, as long as we have deliverables, like the deliverables are due, like you got to turn in a deliverable. So you can't just be chilling and not working. Right. I mean, I'd say arguably, 2020, we actually were extremely busy. Yeah, we just were very busy. And I arguably worked longer hours. I mean, I was still working long hours when I was in the office, but I didn't have anywhere to be. So I'm just sitting there. I mean, especially, you know, at the beginning, it's not like we were auditioning. Everything was shut down. And I was just, you know, I went back to Atlanta. I was staying with my parents, you know, and because they're older, I didn't want to, you know, give them COVID. So I was trying to really stay at home. And I was like, well, it's seven o'clock. I have so much work to do. You worked longer hours. You know, even if I logged off, because we have some clients and brokers that are on the West Coast, you get emails at seven, eight o'clock at night. And you're like, well, I guess I'll just turn on my computer. You know what I mean? So I feel like we were really productive from home. But I still, I like being in the office now. I I like having that separation between work and your home life. I I just, I just need that separate. Because I think the problem is, again, I'll have the tendency to just like not cut it off. And if I have to be somewhere, when I leave the office, I leave my computer. So when I leave, I'm done. I mean, I still have my phone. So if there's an email I can, you know, respond to, I'll do that. But in terms of like, you know, quoting policies, which is what I do because I'm an underwriter, I can't do that from my, I have to have my computer. It's nice to be able to say, well, it's done and it'll just have to be taken care of the next day. So I like having that separation because I feel like if I'm at home, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just I'll answer this really quickly. You know what I mean? I just, I can't cut it off. So I need to be able to leave work in the office. I'm the person who, you know, you either have someone who has like 50 notifications or zero and I'm zero. I hate seeing any notifications (laughs) on anything. I like it clear. I don't know. I'm not that person. Wait, so are you the person that likes to have zero emails in the inbox by the end of the day? Yes. Wait, girl, that's, do you know that that is like one of my lifelong goals? Okay, let me, let me clarify that. I never have zero in, no, I never have zero in my inbox, but in terms of red, Yes, they will all be red. I classify them. I move them into folders. Like I like to move stuff out of my inbox. I'm just that person because I feel like if I don't do it, it just gets to be so unmanageable and I'll have to spend a day just going through. I'm like, oh, this is the article I said I was going to read. And it's like three months later and it's not even like relevant. Oh my God. No, girl, that's me. In this whole decluttering and getting organized phase, when I tell you, it's some people, it's like, if I'm on top of stuff, I can reply to emails right then and there. And people will be like, oh my God, you're so good. And I'm like, no, actually I'm not. But because I am on top of these new emails that came in and it feels so good. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, I meant to respond to this last week and I forgot, but I opened it, you know, and I'm like, see if I had just responded right then and there, it wouldn't need to then become a project. Right. Cause I'll forget. So it's like, I either respond to it right away or two weeks later because I forgot that I was supposed to respond. So I try to just like do it and then I just don't have to worry about it, but I'm a big list person too. Like I use my lists, my reminders app. It's my best friend. So we're going to have to have you on another podcast episode 
to talk about your organization because that's all that's a whole other level. I'm thinking back to like when you and I with a with another mutual friend of ours would go and eat dinner and you would be like, "Oh yeah, so I have, you know, 2 hours a lot or 2 and a half hours a lot for this." And you're like, "And then I'm going home and I'm I'm writing. I'm writing tonight." And I'd be like, wait, after like a full day and then dinner with friends and you're probably not even going to get home to like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and you're going to write and you'd be like, yeah. Yeah, it's over. But I will say that I think COVID in a way has forced me to be a little bit, actually it's COVID slash the film has kind of forced me to not overschedule myself, even though my boyfriend would probably say that that's not true. Before COVID, but I would have like three plans on Saturday, three plans on Sunday, That's insane. And you're in New York, you're going all around all these different boroughs, all these different neighborhoods, three meeting up with six people in a weekend is insane. But that was like norm, that would be the norm for me. And that's just crazy. And I can't do that now. And also just, you know, again, I'm trying to be a little bit safer because of COVID. I'm just not out and about and I'm tired, girl. I'm tired. Yeah, girl, girl, you saying that made me tired, especially when you said you in and out of the boroughs. I'm like, wait, and that's not all just in Manhattan. No, man. no, because I'm, I'm on the weekdays. I try to stay. I mean, I'll really go wherever, but I'll try to stay close, you know somewhat close on weeknights but on the weekends I'm willing to travel because you know I have friends that are in all over and it's not fair for me to be like oh like I only stay in Manhattan I mean that's just that's not fair these these means like nothing to anybody else who's not in New York (laughs) (laughs) let's go back to the pandemic so you're in Atlanta and you're working and you have a group of other artists in Atlanta and you all decided to So I moved to Atlanta in 2019 because my parents were living there half the year. In Atlanta, it's just it's a it's a really great market because there's so much stuff that films there. And I was just not I was kind of hitting a wall in New York. I wasn't going out for like TV and film. I was doing a lot of independent, non-union stuff, commercial stuff. Well, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but I felt like I just needed something more. And oddly enough, with Atlanta, it was it was really such a great experience. I met so many great friends that I'm still friends with. The story always just like gives me goosebumps. So I was moving out of my apartment because I was subletting it. And I was staying with a friend because this person was moving in. And there was maybe about four or five days that she was going to be in that before I left Atlanta. So I got an audition for Dynasty, I think maybe on like a Wednesday. And I was like, oh my God, this is literally the worst time. I'm literally on my friend's couch. I'm about to move to Atlanta. Uh, This is not a good time to have an audition, of course. But you know, I do it. I tape it. And I actually felt really good. It was one of those auditions that you leave because I went to actually a place that I train. They also offer coaching and they'll tape your auditions for you. And I left and I said, you know, it doesn't really matter if if I book this or not. I just had so much fun filming this audition. I was like, I literally left and I was like, this is why I love acting. This is so much fun. I filmed it on, on a Thursday night left for Atlanta on Saturday morning. Tuesday morning, my agent said, you booked Dynasty. Friday, I filmed it. So I was literally in Atlanta for less than a week and I booked my first network TV co-star role. Wild, wild. And it's moments like that, right? That make all the hard years and you know the time there was like months and nothing's happening. And then those, those magical moments happen, right? Where then you're like, oh, see, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It kind of like confirms and validates everything else. Yeah, so it made me realize, okay, Atlanta's where I need to be. While I was there, and I had a few friends, I had some family, and my parents were there, but I didn't really have any actor friends or any creative friends. So I jo- I started taking classes, you know, that's where I can meet other actors. And through that class, I did it kind of off and on for the whole year I was there. And I'm still friends with a lot of people that were in that class, which is wonderful. One of the people in that class, Casey, he headed up us doing a Zoom class once COVID hit. Do scenes, we'd work them, work with different people and kind of get used to acting on Zoom. Because now, I mean, when you have those callbacks, it's now on Zoom. So you had to kind of get used to it. So it was a really great way to get comfortable with that. So Casey was doing that. And then Casey texted me and he said, hey, I have an idea for a film. I, I kind of want to talk to you about it. Are you free? And I said, yeah, of course. He basically pitched me the idea of Black, White, and the Grays. He said, you know, I'd love for you to be a part of it. I'd love you to play my wife in it. I mean, if there's anything else you'd like to do to be a part of the film, you know, I'd love to. I'd love for you to be a part of it. And I said, yeah, I'd love to 
help you with this. So we acted in it. We co-wrote it. We co-directed it. We're both executive producers on it. So it's a lot. In about six weeks, we had the script. We were supposed to shoot in November of 2020. And unfortunately, we lost basically half of our funding. So we knew that we were crushed. We we wanted to try to do it, but we're like, we literally don't even have the money to pay people. We can't honestly start shooting this if we can't pay people. So we had to push it off. And again, me and Casey are people that if we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And we hate being those people that had to push things back and ended up being such a blessing. And really everything with this film that has seemed like a setback has really been a blessing. We were able to shoot it in April of 2021, which is, it ended up just working out 100%. It, it ended up, and we were able to raise even more money than we would originally had. It's been a lot. Even just shooting, we were really lucky. We didn't really have any major snafus. Like we were, we finished on time. We finished early. We had a great production coordinator, Angela, who you know, the, the good thing about it is me and Casey are basically in all, in all of it, almost all the scenes. So if we were running ahead of schedule, she would say, hey, let's do this scene. We really found a way to keep things going. And I just would say, okay, what scene is this? Okay, let me get into that costume. Let's do it. So that made it really easy because we were there all the time. If we weren't acting, we were behind the monitor directing. I and mean, we just got lucky. Jay, who was a producer, he also played Mike in the film. He was really our eyes and ears because me and Casey obviously were in most of the scenes. He was also in our acting class. He was able to really push us because we had also the same language. So we were able to communicate effectively. There was a trust that you didn't have to be precious about it. I mean, we couldn't have done it without him. I mean, everyone, the DP was wonderful. We just had a really great, really diverse crew, which is something that we really wanted. And I think that's important as me being a, a woman of color, executive producer directing this, you want this to not, I don't want to be the only person in the room, person of color. And we're in Atlanta, which is a diverse city. So that was really wonderful to get to see people of different ethnicities, different religions, different genders, all of that. I think that that is so important. And it was something that was really important to us as a, as a team, as a production team that we wanted. It was a lot of work. I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my entire life. It was it was a lot. The, the post-production was, and I'm telling you, that's why I was like, I couldn't have any plans because I was just watching the film all the time, just trying to give me my notes. And our editor, Matt, was amazing. From the first cut we saw, to what we have now it was like night and day I definitely want to meet this Matt and this editor because I feel like you and I have talked about editors for years and like oh well do you know an editor who can do this and who and who can do that and it's so hard I was like I didn't realize that it would be so hard to find the editor that you need one that's not only great in terms of the skill level but then also in terms of like you know let me not be the pot calling the kettle black but <laughs> you know someone who stays on top of the timelines and who gives you the material I remember you had a situation where like the editor went missing. <laughs> I was like, wait, what do you mean? I mean, I also think that was like, she probably, I think had like personal stuff that was going on. So it wasn't because we had worked with, I'd worked with that editor before and she was great. And that's why I wanted to work with her again. But I think she was going through stuff. So I didn't want to like, it was frustrating because we didn't basically, we didn't have the footage for a year, but it was also our fault for not having a backup of the footage. I mean, that's like a rookie mistake. So it was also partially our fault as well. No, but that's how you learn, right? You learn through moments like that. Oh my God, you learn so much by doing. And yeah, I think the first cut, he sent us beginning of July. And I think in a month we had, I think either the, maybe the first or second week of August, we were picture locked, uh, not the final cut, but we were picture locked. That was exhausting. I mean, that was definitely, I think, the hardest part because our film is, the first cut was, I think, two hours and 11 minutes, and we got it down to one hour and 39 minutes. We cut out a lot. And you were trying to make some deadlines, right? Some of the festival deadlines. Yeah. And I mean, girl, that's a whole nother thing is, is festivals, and we're still in it. And yeah, we were trying to make the Sundance Festival. That was that was a tough time because I was actually in Cabo. I know that doesn't sound like, you know... <laughs> Poor me. I know, Marcia. Poor you, girl. Just, oh, God. Like, no, you didn't have to, like, cut cut your daiquiri moment short to look at this doggone film <laughs> edit again. <laughs> 
But it was a lot because I mean, I was, you know, on Zoom dealing with sound, dealing with, and it was some light VFX that we did. We didn't do all of it. We did just just stuff that was distracting, like boom poles and reflections of people, things like that, where that, that's going to be distracting. It was a lot of work. And I've never had to do that because I've never been a director. Normally you act and you're like, I'm done. Or even, I guess, even with Through 25, I wasn't the director. I was a producer on it. So I had my say, but, you know, I really kind of tried to defer to the director. And also those were shorter. Those were web series. This wasn't feature film. So I learned so much, so much. I remember we had just had brunch and there was like a moment where you were like, oh my God, I have to talk to Casey about the type font for the film. Yeah. I think it was the credits. Yeah. We were trying to wrap the credits. It's just like, I feel like I was always on call and we're still, again, we're still, we're still working on stuff, especially because now we're dealing with festivals. So it's creating that list and making sure we're submitting on time and having all the materials. And it really is, again, it's going on two years because we started this in July of 2020 and we're, we're still, and we still have probably about another, I don't know, nine months to a year that we're still going to be doing stuff for this. So it's really, I mean, it's worth it to kind of jump forward to our premiere that we had at Sedona. Those two weeks, including Sedona, were probably so far in my career, probably like the highlight in my career. It just was like a top moment. I was signed by a manager and I really wanted a manager in New York to just have another person to be able to get me opportunities. The following week, I'd taken one of those one-on-one casting director workshops. It was with a casting director that was casting a show that I had wanted to be on for a very long time. And I finally got in the room with her. Is this the law? Is this law and order? Or is this the end game? This is end game. Okay, the end game. Yeah, this is end mm-hmm. game. And I took the cast and I actually didn't even realize like I was I wanted to be seen for another show, but she had ended up like she was casting this. And two days later, she calls me in for an audition and I almost didn't take it because the shoot dates conflicted with when I had Sedona. And I was like, I can't miss the premiere of my feature film. I, I can't. I, 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 what am I going to do? But this is the first time that the casting director had called me in. I didn't want to decline the audition. Thankfully, I talked to my boyfriend. He talked sense into me. He said, look, do the audition. If you book it, then you can worry about that. You know, thinking I'm not going to get it. And you don't even worry about it. Lo and behold, yeah, I booked the job. And I missed the actual premiere of the film. But we had two showings. So I missed the first showing, but that ended up being the day that I was on set. That was really just such a great experience. I mean, the actors were amazing. They were so nice, so kind, just so talented. It was, it was, it was great. And then the next day I filmed and I went off to Sedona. It just got a wonderful reception. I mean, the screening that I went to, which was our second screening, we got a standing ovation, which was wild. And you won the Audience Choice Award. Yeah, and we won the Audience Choice Award for Best Narrative Feature. Best Feature Drama is what I thought. Yeah, yeah, Best Feature Drama. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Because there's also a comedy one, but yeah, we won for drama. And I mean, just to, we love the film and we think it's great and you want people to like it, but more importantly, you want it to affect people. And what was just so wonderful is so many different people from different backgrounds, different ages, different like, you know, everything. They were all relating to it and all had different stories about it and felt seen. To me, that's just like the greatest gift that as a filmmaker, as an artist that you can that you can get. And I guess I should probably say what the what the film is about because people are probably like, what is this film about? Yes. Tell us what the film is about. And then I want to loop back around before we talk about what's happening now in the post-production phase. I think it's very interesting what you and Casey's co-writing process was. So yes, tell us about the film first. The film is called Black, White, and the Grays, and it is about a interracial couple that is going through marriage troubles during 2020. We're dealing with COVID. We're dealing with Black Lives Matter. What I think is really beautiful about the film, it's about finding a way, if it's possible, to meet in the middle because there is so much gray area. And it's, I mean, this country right now, obviously, it's so, unfortunately, it's so divided. And it's so easy to say, well, if you voted for this person, if you believe this on this topic, we're done. You're out of my life. We, we, we can't be associated anymore. But what happens when that's your best friend, your brother, your sister, your mom? Are you really going to cut that person out? And I mean, that's something that I've had to grapple with too, because part of me wants to be like, yeah, 
But then you realize, okay, if it's my best friend, can I really just, you, you have to find a way to, to somehow make it work. And maybe that's just agree to disagree, but we're trying to find a way like, can we peacefully coexist? And I think that's what a lot of people relate it to is finding life is in the gray area. That's where life exists. How do you make it work when you are on opposite sides of something? I think it really beautifully tells that story of how this couple if they can find a way to to meet in the middle. Now, was this film inspired by Langford Wilson's The Gingham Dog? Because I feel like it has very... No, I've actually never heard of that. Yes. Oh, very much so. Because, okay, so because so where is your film set? Where are you all living? Atlanta. So we, we shot it outside of Atlanta, but it's, yes, but it's based in Atlanta. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so with the Gingham Dog, it's like a white Southern man, and then there's a Black woman from Harlem. They were once happily married, and it's like, they're going through a separation right now, and, you know, so much of it is also because of, like, there's this backdrop against the civil rights era. Your film reminds me of that because yours is kind of like what happened during the pandemic with the Black Lives Matter and, and you know, those two years where it was just like one thing after another. And it was like race relations, not only in the streets, but at the job where friends speaking up for their friends of color. You know, it was like in every aspect of everyone's life, it was just kind of, oh, you know, this is like a really big thing that we kind of maybe didn't talk about beforehand. But now because we're in this times, it's like, it's in our face. So I wondered, I was like, oh, was this inspired by the gingham dog? No, that's so, I mean, a lot of it was inspired by conversations that, I mean, because when me and Casey sat down to write it, we talked a lot about our personal experiences, friends' experiences, conversations we just overheard, you know, watching things and, and taking from that. You know, I've interviewed a few people just to kind of get their perspective. Yeah, so we, it, it kind of takes from a lot and neither of us are truly each character, you know, I mean, there are parts of me that are in Jordy. I'm not 100% Jordy by by no means there, you know, and Casey is not 100% Caleb. We really kind of took from a lot of different resources, uh, inspirations. I don't know. The trailer was what, like two minutes or I feel like it was like two or three minutes. I felt like it was a meaty trailer. And I felt like I understood what this film was about from that trailer. And I felt like I felt something just from the two to three minute trailer. Because remember, I was like, that's a good trailer. Oh, that's wonderful. We worked really hard on and that was tough. Uh, yeah, that was tough. But we found a really Garrett uh, who cut our trailer together. He was a dream to work with. It's tough with this film because it is a COVID film. It takes mostly place in one location. It, it informs what's going on, but it isn't about 2020. It really could be set in any time frame. It just happened to be 2020. And because that's the case, you can't ignore that, you know, we are going through a pandemic. We still are going through a pandemic or Black Lives Matter movement. So you have to acknowledge what's happening, but it's really not about 2020. It really just is in the background. Because of that, we wanted to find a way to still appeal to people and not giving away like too much about it. So I think obviously we want people to see it, but I thought Garrett did, and he did it. I think he worked fast. <laughs> he worked real fast. And I love this because it's like, you know, I feel like this is such a part of the journey too, where it's like, you'll have all these like, you know, kind of woes in one area, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, like, why can't I just kind of like figure this out? And why can't this just work, right? And then I feel like for you, in, in terms of our conversations, a lot of it was centered around like finding the right editors. And then I love how it came together for you where you found a great editor for both the film and the trailer. It's like, oh, look at that. Look how that ended up working itself out. That's awesome. Yeah, we we really lucked out. I think it's so interesting that you and Casey co-wrote it and the way that y'all wrote it was that like you wrote it independently and then you would hand it off to each other. When you told me that, I was like, oh my God, in my mind, that seems like that would be so hard because if you all have different tones and different voices and different writing styles. So how were y'all able to have your own individual writing time and then come together and then flush it out where it sounds like it's one voice. It's definitely not traditional, I'm sure, how we did it. We kind of just wrote individual scenes. I was like, oh, I, I really want to write this scene about my brother. I handed it off to Casey. He had some notes. He changed a few things and we're like, okay, let it fly. He wrote the scene with his sister. If I had any notes, I would look it over and we talk about it. And I think we were really on the same page that we were able to give notes and it was very rare that we ever disagreed on anything. We got really lucky. I think we knew what we wanted to say and we knew what we want the film to be. And so we were both very much artistically on the same page. And I think that above all else is 
the most important thing when you're collaborating in in that aspect is you have to be on the same page artistically. And I think having the same artistic sensibilities is really important. He would give a reference to a film. I'm like, yes, that, that exactly. Or a song or a TV show. I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think being able to have that where we both knew what we wanted was really important because if you're not on the same page with that, it's going to feel disjointed. Thankfully, me and Casey were very much on the same page artistically with what we wanted and the quality that we wanted because we both really love film. We love good film. And we know it's our first feature, so it's not going to be a masterpiece, but we're really, really happy with it. And we're just really thankful that we were able to stick to our guns and really fight for the film that we wanted. It was, you know, tough because I think, I know speaking for myself, I didn't always have the language for exactly how I wanted it to be, but you know, it's like, I know it when I see it. And so I was really thankful for all the people that we worked with in the post who definitely had more experience than me that are really able to make what we, what we wanted a reality. And, you know, we just, you know, Dan who did our sound was amazing. Phil did the VFX. Jeremiah was, was wonderful. He did our color. And again, Chris was our DP. Some of these shots, I mean, we, we definitely did, you know, a storyboard, you know, kind of the day of, he'd say like, oh no, this single is really cool. Let's do that. And some of these shots that Chris did were just breathtaking. He's just, he has such a great eye. He's just so talented. So we just, we really are lucky that we got to work with just some pros. They were able to work with our tiny indie budget. So we really, we really lucked out. So everybody who who's helped us along the way, we're just so incredibly thankful for because we just, we really, it's a group effort. We could not have done it without everybody on the film, all the cast and crew, all the post-production. It's just, it would not have been possible. So we're forever grateful. Absolutely. And so we know that you premiered at Sedona, which was very exciting. And then you won the audience award for best drama feature, which is like, wow, way to come out of the gate. I'm still kind of in shock. I have the award in my room and I'm just like, look at it. I'm like, wow, we actually, we did that. We did that. (laughs) Yes. And I love it because y'all did put so much work into it. So it's like, oh, that's so great that you were actually able to, you know, bear the fruit of your labor. So then you have the Maui Film Festival coming up and then also the Charlotte Black Film Festival coming up. So Charlotte Black Film Festival is our next screening and that's going to be June 25th at 10 a.m. And Maui is in July. We don't have the exact screening date yet, but obviously when we do, we will announce it. Our website is www.blackwhiteandthegrays.com. Easy to remember. And our Instagram is blackwhiteandthegrays. Easy. So we'll announce all that stuff there. We still are waiting to hear back from so many festivals. There are some that were finalists on our shortlist. We're still waiting to hear back from so many festivals. We have heard we're finalists for a few. So we're just waiting. We can't announce anything because we're still waiting you know, for the final decision. So hopefully we'll be in New York soon. We have a few in California we're waiting to hear back from. I mean, we've applied all over tons of different festivals, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, some out of the country. Maybe I'll have to come back on once once I finish with this whole festival circuit because that's a whole thing in and of itself. It is. It's a whole other life. That's a whole other life. The life of the festivals and making its rounds and getting in there and, you know, all of that. And, you know, the film being out in the wild, so to speak. So, Marshall, this is so exciting because, and it's so interesting, they say that, like, when one thing hits, so many other things hit, right? Because you've had the success of Black, White, and the Grays, and you also shot for The End Game, like you told us earlier. You also shot for Law and Order. You have new management. Yes, I was so excited about Law and Order. Yeah, because it's, you know, being a New York actor, you want to have your Law and Order credit who was that I was saying that with it's like oh my gosh Morgan so Morgan Page she is a singer songwriter actor yes I listened to that episode everybody listened that was episode four and she was saying that right it's like as an actor it's like oh you can't really call yourself a New York actor unless you booked Law and Order especially if you're in New York it's like you gotta book Law and Order it's so true so what was that like I feel like all these are stories (laughs) what's funny is (laughs) Promise I don't travel that much. I, although I do love to travel, I was in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, girl, you stay. Girl, you stay on. That's why you got that full time job because you're like, I like to travel. I like to live well, <laughs> and I want to see some world. 
Well, they always say that the fastest way to book a job is to book a vacation because it happens all the time. I always bring my little setup, like my tripod. I always bring stuff with me because every time I go away, I always will get an audition. And so I don't want to be freaking out. I'm like, let me just bring my big suitcase and we have it. Puerto Vallarta, I had to extend my trip because I had a positive COVID test. Still not sure if I actually did have COVID because the next day I tested negative. So up in the air. But regardless, I had a positive test and I did have symptoms. Thankfully, nobody I was with got it. No one was infected by me. So that's good. I was like, let me just extend my trip. I'm going to quarantine in this hotel room. It's just like make sure before I go out and about, I don't want to like infect anybody. I was quarantining and I get this audition for Law & Order. Filmed that in the hotel room in Puerto Vallarta. Thankfully, it was Sunday. I got to use natural light. I had my tripod. It had like a, a solid back wall. I filmed it. I zoomed my friend Lana, who's like my fairy godmother slash mentor. Shout out to Lana Young. She's a very talented actress. I was going to ask you about her. I love that you brought her up. Okay, go ahead. Yes, Lana's great. So hopefully she'll listen to this. But yeah, so I taped it with her. We did it. And it's so funny because I looked at it before I sent it off and I said, it looks like I'm literally doing nothing like I'm not even acting but okay whatever send it in and I booked it and I got back to New York I think maybe it was a week later or so I filmed it it was a wonderful experience Anthony Anderson was so he was great uh yeah it, it happens fast and it was a great experience I had to kind of pinch myself because that was on Every year, beginning of the year, I always kind of create a vision board of the shows that I want to be on. Law and Order was one of them. I got it. So I was really, really thrilled. 2022 started out with a bang because I booked Law and Order in January. Endgame I booked in February. It was right after the other. And then I've gotten a few like avail checks or holds and things like that. I always got the mindset fairly early on that it's not about booking the job. It's about booking the room. So even if you're put on, you know, hold or avail check, they're seeing if like you're available, hold, they're like, want you to hold for that date. And you either will book it or they'll release you or even just getting a note that like, oh, we're sending your tape up to directors, all things like that. Even if you don't, in the end, book the job, it shows that you're on the right path and that these casting directors, that they like you. They're going to call you in for stuff. That's what you want. It's about booking the room because you're not going to get every job that you audition for. Even if you're Meryl Streep, not every role that she auditions for, she's, well, she doesn't have to audition anymore, so whatever. Right. But uh, <laughs> Meryl Streep is probably the only one who is getting all the roles that she's auditioning for. That That's actually true. Right, right, right. right. Not, yeah. No, but what, that would be funny, actually, just if we were to speak with her and if she was like, oh, no, I actually don't, you know, it would be shocking, right? Right, right. So, I mean, you're not going to get everything that you audition for because you're not going to be right for everything. And that's fine. And there's just so many of us. It's like, it's such a numbers game. And you know what? That's something that was so wild when I was talking to my mom about it. Because, you know, The Law and Order was a co-star. So it was like a couple lines. But, you know, look, I'm grateful for any credit. Like I went to NYU. We go to like these great schools. And then you're like saying like, hey, here's your coffee. Which, you know, I'm happy to say that. Airtime is airtime. A role is a role. I'm not snubbing my nose at that. I'm just not. I'm, I'm grateful for anything I get. You talk to like family and friends and they're like, oh, I like barely saw you or you got like two lines. And you're like, yeah, how many people, if a role, especially if it's a breakdown for, you know, male or female, 20 to 40, any ethnicity, that's going to be like a thousand, two thousand people that submitted just for that role because that's so broad. And then out of those two thousand, you got it. It's wild to think about that. Even just getting the audition is a, a gift in and of itself because what, maybe 30 people audition for that out of 2,000? So that's why it's like anytime I get an audition, I'm grateful because I know that there were a bunch of people that were submitted and they happened to think that I could potentially fit this. And that's why any booking, no matter how big or small, is a blessing. Like I'm grateful for anything that I'm getting. And you learn so much on set. Like that can't be underrated. I mean, you learn so much just being a sponge and just taking in and seeing like what the regular recurring actors are doing and what the director's doing and you know to see how people move on the set I mean I kind of feel like that's really why you're there it's a master class yeah it's like a master class it opens you up to a whole different world it's like cracking open the door just a little bit wider for you 
Oh, for sure. Most of the TV shows, they have a different director. You know, sometimes they will have recurring directors, obviously. But even with like Endgame, the director was fantastic. But he, this was his first episode he had directed for the show. And so he was like asking some of the actors questions like, oh, when you guys did, there's like one movement I had to do. I had to like flip a switch. And they're like, how did they do it in the past? Did they like, did you push the button? Did you flip it? So just trying to keep up with continuity. And so you realize that we're all in this together, trying to make sure that we create this cohesive, great story. It is collaborative. And it was just, it, it is a masterclass just to see how these people just deliver these lines, just deliver every single time and all the crew. And the, I mean, it, it's such a joy to be on set and just soak it all up. I'm just like, let me watch these pros do it and make sure I don't mess up my lines. <laughs> And it's so funny because, you know, the continuity contingency, they they are always on full watch, girl. They, <laughs> they are. They, they are. They're like, it. no, you, you picked up that glass with your left hand. <laughs> but I try to be good with it, too, because also I just know being on the producing side, watching footage, I try to make sure that I'm as consistent as I can be so that they aren't worrying about, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm doing my job. Absolutely. So you touched on Lana Young, and I would love to just kind of like have a few minutes to talk about her and your relationship with her, because I think it's so beautiful that you have this really supportive relationship with this woman who is also an actor slash actress. You know, she has been acting for a long time. She was on Ambitions. She was on The Resident. She was on Dynasty. She was on WandaVision, Bull, Blacklist. She's done so much over the years. So I wanted to know, one, how did you all me and how are you able to create the type of relationship you all have because it's like she's like a friend slash mentor and it's really beautiful you all have fun together she will also recommend you for certain things she helps you out in terms of advice and it's like it's such a beautiful full-bodied relationship I was called my fairy godmother. We actually met at an acting class because I saw that she actually came from the corporate world like me. She was working in finance. And then I think around in her 30s, she decided that she wanted to be an actor full time. And she went to drama school, left the corporate world. And I saw that she was steps ahead in her career because at the time that I met her, which was maybe it's 2016, I can't remember. It's been a while. She was like, I'm done with the co-stars. I've, I've had enough. I'm ready. Ready for the next level, I was at the point where I was like, I just want a co-star. I just want one line. So I saw that she was definitely much further on in her career. I know you're technically not supposed to do this. At the end of class, I said, you know, I see a lot of kind of myself in, in, in you. Would you be interested in in mentoring me? I know you're not technically supposed to like ask your mentors because normally mentors are supposed to say, I'll mentor you. I don't know. I just asked her. Yeah. Well, you know what? The book is wrong because I asked her and she said yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and she has just been a wealth of knowledge. She was really the one who encouraged me to go to Atlanta. She referred me to her agent and I'm still with her agent. You know, when I have auditions, she's able to help me out. And when she has auditions, I a lot of time will be her reader. It's great to see her. I actually, I love reading with people. I love, I love sometimes just like being the other person where it's like, okay, the pressure's not on me. I just can like serve you and help you out. And so it's great to see her work. And I'm always happy to, to help her. She got me into meditation. Yeah, she's just, she's just such a great giving person. And anytime I have career questions, I can ask her. We just get along. We could talk for hours about, you know, just so many things. And she's just a, a great friend. And we have fun together. We went to like a baseball game a couple weeks ago. And like, we'll go to art exhibits or go to a concert or like go to a bar. You know, we just... We love being out and about and exploring the city. She's just just a wonderful person. So, And she actually has a documentary that's doing the festival circuit called From Pink Sand to Red Carpet is the name of a documentary. She's a, from Bermuda originally. So that's where the pink sand comes from. Yeah, I know she got into the Toronto International Women Festival. I'm not sure when the dates are, but she it's it's a documentary that she directed. It's about her journey going from Bermuda to being an actor. And it's really inspirational, really great story. So I'm excited for her to just have all this success with it. Check that out. Yes. Okay, great. And okay, so before we get out of here, we like to ask our guests, you know, the reason why it's called So Mind-Boggling Journeys is because it is so mind-boggling and everyone's journey is so different. And it could be so mind-boggling where it's like, oh my gosh, I never imagined that, you know, I got my dream job or I worked with my dream co-star, this actor, this director, whatever. Or it could be so mind-boggling where it's like, oh my gosh, like I did not know that I would be struggling, you know, for so long, or I'd be like, you know, still trying to figure out how to 
to like pay my bills after being in the business for 10 to 12 years or whatever, right? So for you, what would you say is probably one of the most so mind-boggling things that you have learned on this journey? I think the biggest thing that I have learned with acting is what is meant for you is for you because you can't compare yourself to other people. I think that is just, that's a rabbit, dark rabbit hole. You don't need to go down. Every journey is different. If the role is truly yours or the opportunity is truly yours, it's already yours. Nobody can take it. You can't lose it. It's yours. And if it's not meant for you, it will fall away. And you don't know why it might not be for you, but for whatever reason, it's not. You know, you have to trust in that. So I think that's the biggest thing and I'd say probably the biggest project, I'll say that, that I think has really hopefully changed, definitely has changed my life and, you know, hopefully my career as well is definitely the feature film. That is just with the skills that I've learned has definitely changed me as an artist, hands down. It really has. I mean, it was my first lead role in a feature film. It's 97 pages and it's almost like a play. It's very dialogue heavy. To say that I was a lead in a film it just, it means a lot. We're just really, really proud of it. I think it's already has opened doors for all of us and I think it will continue to open doors. So we're just really excited to continue to share it with the community and with everybody. So I think that's definitely going to be a milestone in my career. I always have to look back at that and see what that has done for me. Yes. And what I love about it is that you gave yourself a job and you gave yourself a great job because the dialogue that's in this film is light years ahead of a lot of the stuff that we read on a regular basis for these auditions, right? Some of the copies like, what is this? You know, we ain't gonna name names, but <laughs> right. <laughs> but this work that you're doing is such important work and so grounded. And it's like, it's going to resonate with a lot of people and they're going to be able to relate to it and they're going to learn from it. What more could you ask for as an artist and to work on good material? And you created that for yourself. And I love that for you. Marshall, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh my God, it's over. It's done. I want to talk more. We'll do a part two. I just oh, yeah. invited myself Oh no, back. we have to have you back because <laughs> I want to hear about, you know, the festival circuit. And we have to let the listeners know that this is your first official podcast. Hello. Yes. So we do the air yeah. horns. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> I love that. That that makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside because I know that this is the first of many and I'm so excited for you for on your festival journey and you know all the other amazing projects that are sure to come from this so let everybody know where they can find you and where they can like keep up with your project yes so for the film it's blackwhiteandthegrays.com grays with an e on instagram blackwhiteandthegrays and then you can, you know, follow me at Marshall Thurman. And then I have my website too, MarshallThurman.com. Easy. Easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. So thank you. We can't wait for the film to hit New York City. I'm definitely going to that. Yes. Hopefully we actually should know hopefully soon about potentially our New York premiere. Can't sing anything because we don't have the official, but hopefully that'll be soon. So you will know. You will know. And maybe you can just slide me the date just so I can make sure I'm in the city. You know what I mean? So I can Girl. plan around it. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I'll tell you off the podcast. I'm not trying to get in no, trouble. No, no, no. Yeah, tell me off the podcast. Text it to me. I'll text you. I'll text you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Marshall. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.